The text for today's message is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Okay, today uh, we reach the uh, penultimate, uh, next to last message of our long first series of the new year. Um, we've been going through the first chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. Uh, here is a message roadmap um, of the topics uh, we have covered. Uh, we started with spiritual signatures. Um, that was the introduction that uh, Paul gives about what the gospel is like, what he's like, what the church, the Christians at Colossae are like. And then the pleasure of prayer. Paul launches into prayer for the Colossians. He wants them to not only grow in the knowledge of God, but to experience that so deeply, so personally, right? To the pleasure of God, to the pleasing of God. And then we looked at the third one was how amazing, how marvelous, how foundational Jesus Christ is, right? Through, uh, he was the firstborn of all creation and the firstborn, the Lord over uh, the dead, the new creation, um, and how he permeates everything. He is the author and perfecter of our faith of reconciliation. And then last week, we went through kind of what it means to um, to be full-bodied. Right? The word body came up in, in several contexts, and uh, we talked about how it was kind of intimately tied with the work of Jesus and the work of the literal body of Christ. Now, all this to arrive at our final two verses, uh, which we've designated as the uh, 2022 key verses uh, for the church. Uh, since it's our key verses, I thought uh, about trying to unpack or unlock, right? Unlock this key, um, if you will, uh, its, its components. Hence today's sermon title, uh, Keys to the key, right? keys to the key. Uh, what are the keys, at least in a practical sense, of getting at the vault? How do we get into that, that inside, that, that heart of Paul's insights? Uh, we should probably back up a little first and uh, give some d delineation to the nucleus, uh, so to speak, of Paul's thought. So if you can, like, if you were able to view the whole of chapter one, it's a very long, dense chapter, it's kind of a prospectus, right, if that were possible for the entire letter. Um, I would argue that there's kind of a, an action, a motion, a flow, right, even momentum uh, that can be discerned. Right, Paul starts out by noting that the gospel came to the Colossians, the gospel was delivered right through Epaphras to the people uh, in Colossae. But the gospel didn't remain idle. It didn't just, boop, land on the people and stay. It wasn't stuck, right? The gospel grew like a catalyst, right? And it bore fruit in them as it had all over the world amongst other believers and churches. 
And then Paul, like I said, launches on this earnest prayer that the knowledge of God uh, by the Colossians, as well as their own spiritual wisdom and understanding, this be progressively expanded, that it just keeps like burgeoning out, almost like, a, you know, just like a mushroom starts to kind of spread all over um, to the point of profusion. Uh, indeed, the gospel's power is this exponential because it generates from the supreme Christ. Right? Supreme Christ. He's a creator. He's the redeemer of all. The power is not only displayed in creation and in propelling the world forward in time, but significantly, right, the power of the Supreme Christ animates the church. It gives life. Right? It keeps the body going. Right? It provides its strength, its lifeblood. This motive body of Christ uh, then carries on the ministry of reconciliation, which began when Jesus made peace between God and humanity through his blood shed on the cross. That unifying force, right? Jesus' reconciliation power pervades each of us and all of us, be we male or female, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile. I always want to switch those. Whether, whether we be female or male, poor or rich, right? Gentile or Jew. Because usually it's the, the former that uh, often gets the priority. Anyway, and this unification of all of this uh, that is separate and uh, at war, it reveals the mystery, the great mystery kept hidden for ages and generations. As Paul says, the glorious riches of this mystery is the key, as I'm trying to couch it today, to Paul's long argument and my long explanation to chapter 1. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. That's the key. Right? That's what Paul really wants to drive home. Right? That's what we should be thinking about. What has the Lord done for us? And what is the Lord doing for us? And what does He want us to do? And what does He want for the world? He wants Christ in you, Christ in me, Christ in us, Christ in the world, the hope of glory. That's the key, uh, that's the key to Paul's doctrinal arc. Christ in you, as I've been saying, means that we are reconciled in Him, but that through Him, we can also be reconciled with each other. That one awful, tyrannical constant present throughout human history, conflict, conflict, often violent conflict, can finally be, well, put to death. We can, we can destroy conflict. Right? Imagine what that would look like. Um, imagine hoping for it and really experiencing it. It'll require, like I said last week, throwing our bodies at it. Uh, so suffered Jesus' physical body, Paul's my flesh, and even the body of Christ. But if we can pull it off, I think it can help secure the hope of glory. Right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. To me, that's, uh, that is Paul's key message. Um, uh, you know, I mentioned the kinetic motif, right? 
The gospel is alive, it's moving in us and through us, it delves deep into us, disrupting our inner sanctum, and it also radiates outward, corralling the people most alienated and the farthest away from each other. That's how comprehensive it is, that's how uh, powerful it is uh, to touch even the darkest and deepest abysses in our heart. Okay, well if the key, right, is Christ in you, the hope of glory, what are the keys, little keys to getting there? If that's the big picture, what do we need to do? What are the practicals? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. So since I use the term key, uh, I, I looked up <laughs> what a key looks like, right? The, a lock, how does it work? And um, so like these are called pin tumblers, pin tumbler lock. I don't know if you ever looked at these, but so basically it's a, you know, if you look at a doorknob, it has the typical keys, I think 90% of them have um, like a, uh, it's a mechanism that uses pins of varying length. So inside the inside your locker, you have all these cylinders and you have these pins that are, you know, controlled by springs. And so your key is, you know, cut with different grooves, different divots. That's called bitting, bitting, B-I-T-T-I-N-G, and cavities that it basically lines up the pins so that what you have is this un an un unobstructed shear line so that what can't turn, once the shear line is, is clear or, or met, you can then turn the lock and open the door. That, that's how that works. So what I'm going to say today, the, the three little keys are like those little cavities or divots cut in the key that allows us to open it up. Okay, that's just my silly metaphor. Uh, so uh, to me, right, we see it in verse 28. I think it enumerates these fancy word driver pins uh, for us. Right? They basically are... Proclaiming, number one, admonishing slash teaching, number two, and then number three, presenting, presenting everyone perfect in Christ. Those are the three little keys, right? That's, our, that's verse 28 today. Proclaim, proclaim him, that's number one. Teach and admonish, right? I'm going to consider that together. And then present, present. If we line up those angled, you know, uh, parts of the key, those cuts, then we're going to be able to disengage the lock and open up into this Christ, I believe, Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? So I, is there a better way to remember this? I don't know. So P is proclaim, TA is teach, admonish, PTA, everyone's favorite <laughs> organization. I think it's called PA now in New York, but in, when I was a kid in California, it's called PTA, right? Parent Teacher Association. Right, and so you got to be present. <laughs> you show up at the PTA, right? Show up in your spiritual life. Show up in the church. These three little keys will lead us to the big key. So, how do we get the full effect and the goal slash purpose of this great sweep of redemptive history? I want to generalize these little keys in the following manner. Okay, I want to say that proclaim him. Right, number one means evangelism. Okay, evangelism, missions, witnessing. Sharing the faith, right? Leading people to Christ, preaching the gospel, all that. Proclaim Him. That is evangelism. Okay, number two, teach and admonish everyone. I'm going to call that discipleship, right? That's what we're doing. We're learning to be disciples. We're growing into faithful disciples, uh, emulators, imitators, copycats, even of Jesus Christ. We're being discipled. He is the master, right? We have 
disciples, maybe senior disciples, we have junior disciples, but we're all disciples, everyone, right? We're supposed to be teaching and admonishing, admonishing everyone. Right? And then third, um, it's not just, you know, we just grow and that's it. We're supposed to, like, affect each other. We're supposed to multiply ourselves, right? So presenting everyone, presenting all who God entrusts to us um, to Christ, to present them mature, perfect. We'll talk about that. So I'm calling that multiplication. So these are familiar terms for the most part, right? Evangelism, discipleship, multiplication, probably not that new uh, to us. I'm not going to try to overcomplicate them today. Yeah, may they serve as reminders and markers for us to link up with, uh, with as we pursue this important big key to gospel movement. Okay, the first little key, uh, or maybe pin mechanism, is evangelism. Evangelism, or the proclamation of Jesus Christ. The gospel is uh, meant to be spoken, shared, broadcast, uh, practiced, uh, demonstrated, communicated, all those things. Faith comes from hearing the message. Romans 10 informs us. So we need to proclaim that message. We need to be sent out again and again to do just that. Unless there is a sharing and articulation of the faith, this first pin cylinder will not be disengaged. Of course, God can give understanding of salvation in Jesus Christ to people in any manner he sees fit. But his chosen means is that those who have experienced salvation, us, tell others about it. One, one person said, one, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Right? Yeah. If you've experienced something grand, you want to tell others, your friends, your loved ones, your family, how they can get their hands on it. One beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Without communicators and testifiers and evangelists, the gospel stays contained in the person who received it. Right? Ed said, wordle sharing is awesome. Well, let's do God's wordle. I, I knew, you guys knew I would say that, right? When I said wordle, I'm going to say God's wordle. Yeah, we have to share it. The great commission was given by Jesus to his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Their task was to uh, be, their task was to be that wherever they went, um, at all times, through all means, they were to share the good news. The birthing of believers starts with proclaiming the truth of what Jesus has done. So when's the last time uh, you or I have been a proclaimer? The last time you proclaimed him, proclaimed Jesus Christ. When was the last time uh, you, or I, you or I spoke to someone specifically, right? A human being, right? About Jesus Christ. In any context. It doesn't necessarily have to be like you pop, pop up in your Bible, you go through, you know, the four spiritual laws. Just proclaiming Jesus in some way, whether to honor him or to thank him or to explain him, or in some way uh, to proclaim him. Maybe you've been active in cultivating the relational soil of someone you want to become a Christian, or you have an ongoing, vibrant prayer ministry for the salvation of souls. These are both important elements of a gospel witness, but we can't stop there. We must be active in proclamation. We must be active, again, in proclamation, even if in dribs and drabs, 
right? We should make the effort in telling others about who Jesus is and what he has done for humanity and what he has done for me personally. So uh, I don't know if some of you guys know um, at NYU, I've been trying to get involved with uh, English conversation. Like there's an organization that connects students, often international students, uh, with um, people who, uh, like English conversation partners. And um, I've gotten to know a couple of guys, uh, students, really well. Like, like we've been doing it like every one, one hour, like almost every week since September. So you talk to somebody one hour a week and you're like really concentrating in like, you know, either on WhatsApp video or in person. Like I kind of know their family, I kind of know their background and I know their religious nature. I've been actually getting a chance to talk about it. I guess it's some of my own background has allowed me to speak to them and it's, uh, it's really kind of helpful to me. I don't know if it's helpful to them, but it's helpful to me. And um, so I've been trying to expand my uh, opportunities and situations and moments where I can proclaim him, right? It doesn't have to be formal like that. Friends, coworkers, people in the neighborhood, you know, that kind of thing. You know, neighbors, me and Mona have been trying to, you know, we've been living in our apartment, believe it or not, it's our 15th year, right? And, uh, you know, we see people a lot in the elevators, you know, New York City living, and we're on the 11th floor and all that. So we see them, but I realize I only know like 10 names, <laughs> 10 names, right? So these days I've been asking, it's so awkward, I've been asking people their names in the elevator, right? And I, and I preface it with silly things like, you know, I know I've lived here a long time. You know, they've, they've lived here 30 years and I, I've seen, you know, but I go, what's your name? Or, you know, and I've been writing little notes like, you know, whatever, uh, you know, Grace lives on the 11th floor and she has a, a, a dog that always licks me. You know, so I'll remember who that is because I just want to say hi. I just want to, if they, you know, sometimes we talk about like, you know, small talk or, or little things or we're talking about COVID or talking about, you know, they, they recognize our kids and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, they're, they're being neighborly. And, and, you know, I don't know if we're ever going to like, you know, I'd be able to proclaim Christ to him, but I want to have them, but I want to have that opportunity to do that. So whatever that works for us, let's do that. Right, because that's one of the little keys, right, to getting this big key, the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, let's do that. Notice, finally, that Paul says we proclaim Him. We don't talk about ourselves. We don't talk about our church, right, per se. We don't talk about even religion. We don't talk about um, bare power or miracles or prosperity or even blessings or benefits. I mean, those are a part of the conversation, but Paul says here, right, very succinctly and uh, uh, elegantly, we proclaim him. So we should be proclaiming Jesus anytime, all the time, throughout time. Yeah. Okay, the second key or pin releasing divot uh, on our key is discipleship. discipleship. Um, I'm always reminded that in the Great Commission, we're actually not specifically told to evangelize. Right? Jesus didn't say, go, therefore and tell the world about me. That's implied, but the specific command is what? Make disciples. Um, it doesn't even say plant churches. Like that's, that's in vogue. Every, every, every missions organization, every nominations talk about church planting. We, we are into that. We've tried to be into that, right? But Matthew 28 stipulates 
that we make disciples of all nations, that this is done by teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I think the best word in my experience and in, in my readings is discipleship. Uh, Paul's Colossian language echoes this through the key words admonish and teach. Admonish and teach. Right? Discipleship involves forming and then firming. I like this idea, firming up, firming up Christ's leadership and lordship in our lives. Right? This pertains not only to what we believe right, in our minds, but how we feel in our emotions, how we conduct ourselves what we say, what choices we make, right? Engage, it engages all those things, the mind, the heart, and the hands. So the second key to the key requires a desire in us, a desire in us to constantly learn um, and be led, learn and be led by Jesus Christ and then others, right? Peter calls uh, them under-shepherds that God has established in our lives. So teach that is uh, an important, an essential component of discipleship, teachability. Never should we feel that we have like fully arrived. Like I know everything there is to know about Christianity or about the Christian life. No, that's never true. Right? We're always learning. We're always growing. We're always striving right? to become a better, a more perfect disciple, if you will. I like the fancy word inveterate. Right? You guys know what that means, inveterate? It means like habitual, constant, even fixed or hardened. Like you could say, I'm an inveterate espresso drinker. Like I drink it every day. I drink it two times a day, whatever. Right? I don't touch tea. Right? Tea's no good. Espresso, something like that. Or she's an inveterate liar. Like everything she says is always makes herself look good. Or it's to, you know, is to, um, it's a falsehood, whatever, right? So let's be inveterate learners. No stopping. You're always learning. You're always curious. You're always desirous of growing more in Christ. I told you about that pastor's prayer summit I went to two, two weeks ago. Like, um, one of the speakers, he is a, um, he's a, I think he's the pastor of the largest church in New York City. Right? I think it's in Brooklyn. I think it's the Christian Cultural Center. Uh, that pastor is a regular speaker. He's famous, whatever, and all that kind of stuff. But when he spoke, he started out by um, mentioning there was like four speakers the night before and like four speakers that day ahead of him. So he mentioned each speaker by name and one thing he learned from their messages, right? And, you know, so, so obviously either he has a great brain or he's taking notes or something, but he really acknowledged that he was there not to just teach and, and to preach and to proclaim, but to learn himself, right? And he was doing that. And then he corrected a guy that he thought was wrong, too. That, was kind of, that ties into what we're doing here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this idea that you're, you want to keep learning, you want to keep growing. Um, Alongside of teaching is this word uh, admonishment, right? Uh, that we are corrected. Right? We right? one way of learning is you know sometimes it's like the positive format would be uh, I learned it through, through teaching, but it's also you learn it by by cor being corrected on something that you're doing wrong, right? This is familiar to us because we're you know our formative years or some of you are still going through it. Um, we were 
we probably absorbed quite a bit of correction, parental correction. Right? We learned about acceptable, unacceptable behavior in a family or culture or, or society. I think Christian life can be understood in a similar light. We need to be refined as to how a disciple of Christ should think, feel, and act. And if admonishment helps us root out that which hinders us from growing in Christ, then why not? It's not pleasant. Never pleasant to be disciplined, it says in Hebrews, but it leads to holiness. Right? When's the last time you've you've like desired to be corrected if something is awry or askew, right? I don't see that in my life. I don't see that in many people's lives, right? They'll, 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 they'll give me the learning part. Yeah, if you know something that I need to know, teach me. But if you see something wrong in my life, please, leave me alone. Don't touch me. Who are you? What do you think you do or know? Right? Somehow Paul, like, he, he, puts, he puts this together, hand in hand, two sides of the same coin, teach, teaching and admonishing. Some of the most memorable discipleship lessons in the Gospels involve Jesus' reproving and rebuking his disciples. Uh, it's not a power play or an attempt to tear them down. Um, it actually helped build them up. Like James and John, right, two uh, important dis apostles, or disciples of Jesus, for instance, they queried Jesus once whether uh, they should pray down fire from heaven to destroy a Samaritan village which had refused to welcome Jesus inside. But Jesus rebukes them for their impetuosity. And then later we learn that John uh, becomes, he changes. He's no longer this fire-breathing, fire-branding kind of youngster, but he becomes known, his reputation is that John is the apostle of love, right? You see it especially uh, in his epistles where he's constantly talking about the love of God, including that amazing verse, God is love, right? That's found in 1 John 4. Uh, tradition has it that apostle John was asked near the end of his life, why do you talk about nothing else besides the love of God? Right? He was talking about so much. Why do you talk about nothing else besides the love of God? To which he replied, because there is nothing else. Right, so from, can I, you want me to pray down, <laughs> you know, judgment from heaven to all of us need God's love. God is love, right? Well, what a transformation. And I think this admonishment that he heard so long prior, it fueled this tremendous change that occurred in his heart. Now, of course, in Colossians 1, Paul is not only talking about, about being... Um, admonished or taught. He's talking about us becoming admonishers and teachers, right? But I think it, this assumes that you know what it means to receive it, and having received it and experienced it, then you're qualified, then you're if effective, then you're capable of sharing with others, right? You learn the way of Christ, and now we can disciple others in an effective manner. And I already mentioned that I'm into like... Uh, somewhat, into like Cobra Kai, right? <laughs> this is one, one brother that I never hear from, but then when I mentioned Cobra Kai, I got all these texts, like, oh, you know, and like episode four, he was like really into it, so I hope he's listening today, <laughs> and I'll get a similar text, but, you know, uh, how he, in, in that later series from The Karate Kid, uh, Daniel LaRusso becomes like a 
a, a, a teacher, a master, whatever himself. And yeah, I'm not sure he's doing a good job of teaching the kids, but he was a good student. Right? He was a good disciple. Um, I always go back to the, um, <laughs> the start where uh, Mr. Miyagi says to him, we make sacred pact. I promise teach karate to you. You promise learn. Right? There is that understanding. Right? I'm going to teach you everything I know to the best of my ability. And you're going to learn. Right? You're going to learn everything uh, from me. And then we see, you know, the fruit of that is that he becomes an admonisher and a teacher. I love it that Paul throws in at the end, in all, with all wisdom. <laughs> with all wisdom. Yeah, that to me is those that understand teaching and admonishing, how precious, how essential. You cannot live without wisdom. I'd rather teach and admonish a few things with wisdom than to know everything and, you know, uh, express that or spew that out without uh, wisdom, right? It's not something that can be taken, uh, undertaken lightly or without serious prayer. Okay, now to the last little key for us today, multiplication. Interestingly, the conclusion of proclaiming and discipling everyone is not just to stay pat. It's not the final goal. There is a uh, multiplicative component in Paul's discipleship ministry. Now, without evangelism, evangelism and missions, the gospel is not unleashed to bring about its desired and due effect. But once a person is saved, um, all over the place in the New Testament, their spiritual progress and growth is emphasized. Right? But the maturation of the disciple is not an end in and of itself. If you've really grown, if you've really matured, if you really become a disciple, guess what? What you, you should thereafter right, engage in more evangelism, more discipleship. Right? It's an ongoing process. And this I termed multiplication. So the goal is actually to present everyone you know, perfect in Christ. Everyone. Uh, think about that repeated word. Right? How do we get to Christ in us, the hope of glory? Right? Yeah, when we are presented perfect in Christ. Now, perfect does not mean like flawless. It doesn't mean like morally perfect. It doesn't mean like without any mistakes or that it meets and it exceeds uh, every standard, right? Uh, leadership, as in life, it, to me, it's all about mistakes, learning uh, from them, going through them. So the meaning of the word perfect there is more about maturity and completion and achievement, right? So, Ultimate discipleship is actually a pr pretty unattainable task. And none of us can be fully like Jesus Christ, but we don't stop growing closer. The pursuit and emulation of him is what drives us. Um, if uh, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, then Paul says that we are the image of the eternal son. Right? And disciples after us should be the image, broken image, right, of us. Uh, us and of Jesus Christ, the perfect image. To reproduce, right, to pass on the proclamation, the admonishment, teaching, and the perfecting to more and more people. That's how the gospel propagates. That's how the key is given out. Copies are made to countless people. Right? transmitted and kindled and spread. 
And I'm sorry for the use of the term, especially in today's world, but it's viral. <laughs> it's viral, right? In a good sense of the word, the gospel, discipleship, presenting, all that stuff. The key is viral in action. One person affects, paran infects another person, and then affects, paran infects another person, and uh, so on. So I had uh, I've read so many articles about COVID over the past, as have you, I'm sure, and stuff. But when I really needed like the like the definition of something, I couldn't find it. I had to look at like seven or eight articles to to finally get to the point to to get to something called the um, the effective reproductive number, right? So R not R sub zero, I think. So it's how many people does one a sick individual infect on average. So like if you have COVID, right, let's say Delta, right, um, on average, how many people can you infect right, if, if, if there's no protection? So, and, and they don't really agree on the numbers either. I couldn't really find like a, a definitive value, but one, one website I said is like the original COVID is a 2.8 uh, or not, right? Meaning that, um, it can affect you know two two point eight people on average an individual right so um, like the Spanish flu was also the value of two and, and and it's a crazy crazy number that you know if you double the infection like with a rate of r of two um, you can get to five point three million people in thirty days so these are these are crazy you know you know exponential you know uh, numbers, uh, in effect. So they estimated, I think Delta was about five, and Omicron was anywhere from seven uh, to ten months. By comparison, is seven. <laughs> right. Anyway, um, you, like maybe for us in a positive way, how do I increase my uh, impact rate, my multiplication rate? How can I proclaim and? teach, admonish, and then present uh, others for this hope of glory. Uh, in the bottom line, we should be multiplying disciples. Right? We should care about how I live my Christian life, how I share my Christian life, who are the people um, learning and going. Mary talked about us being examples right, for our youth and for our children. Uh, examples of what it means to be, I think, a good citizen, what it means to be a loving human being, but most importantly, what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Right? That's our ultimate calling, I think, uh, for not only our children, but uh, for others. Let me close by switching to a TV show illustration. Um, you know, Grey's Anatomy um, is, is been on for like 50,000 years, I think. But um, some of the early uh, seasons, um, I, I, I still kind of enjoy Right, I've enjoyed, and one of my favorite, my favorite character, my favorite doctor is Dr. Bailey. You know, she's uh, uh, one of the. She starts out the first season as a chief resident, and she's known as a Nazi. Not a good term, but she's very tough and she's super smart and all that kind of stuff. Uh, she's a maternal figure. She's always teaching and admonishing, right? Because the interns are all kind of like full of themselves, and but they don't know anything, and they make a lot of poor decisions. Well. About four years after, you know, she trained them heart and soul, 
Now, one of her protégés, Dr. Karev, right? He's a hotshot young guy. Um, in an instance, he, one, when, when there was a patient, a one-year-old patient who had a stroke because he was living in his home and his parents were crystal meth <laughs> dealers. So they were crystal meth cookers and dealers, right? So Dr. Karev confronted that crystal meth dealer and kind of yelled at them um, because of the, what had happened to the child. And then a dangerous you know, situation gets created and resolved and the, the police comment and, and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so Karev and Bailey are by themselves, right? And then I think I put this on the, on the slide. Karev says, you can yell, you know? And then Bailey's like, not my job anymore. It's like the fourth year, so he should know this by now, right? Karev, I'm just saying, you can if you want. I deserve it. And then Bailey <laughs> cuts loose. I love my favorite scenes. You do deserve it. You do. I, I, I kind of want to talk like her, but I shouldn't. You do deserve, Dr. Karev, to be chastised for your stunningly poor decision-making. You certainly earned a reprimand for your unbelievably tactical, destructive tactical error. You got in the face of a drug dealer. You got in the face of a drug dealer before the police had arrived. You got in the face of a known felon while his one-year-old child is still in the room. Are you stupid? Are you without intelligence? Because I know I taught you better than that. And this is a line, I dot, 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 I taught you better than that, Dr. Karev. Get in the face of a drug dealer, fool. And then Karev says, thank you. <laughs> and then she says, oh no, thank you. Because <laughs> she, got, she got it off her chest, right? And it's, it, to me, that's discipleship right there, right? Karev is like, thank you for you know, telling me what I needed to hear. I screwed up. And then, you know, Bailey's nature is to be a teacher, a teaching hospital. So she says, no, thank you for letting me you know, teach and admonish you again. And she wanted to present Dr. Karev as a perfect right, doctor, trained, skilled, wise, too. Right? But there is a hiccup, and there will be hiccups. But they're getting to that. They're getting to that, you know, that they're doing the best that they can be for the sake of the lives of uh, the people. And then, you know, the story arc is that the interns themselves in season one, they all become really good and they some of them become Baileys. They become attending physicians in the same program. And then they are yelling and, you know, uh, teaching, admonishing the younger uh, residents. Yeah, it turns out that this 28 and 29, we'll talk about 29 next week, but these two verses, I look to as my personal ministry key verses. Like I have a life verse and this, but this is my personal ministry uh, key verse. And uh, yeah, I think I came to it by thinking about, well, I want to, I want others to feel like my disciples, to feel like they have carte blanche in my life, to present me, to try to present me, you know, perfect in Christ. And I too, I feel like my, my responsibility or my call to try to present each of you a little bit more each year um, you know, through challenge and, and spiritual challenge and victory, uh, perfect in Christ, right? Uh, and, and I'm grateful to those that, you know, share that, uh, either as someone who's, who's allowing me to try to present you perfect in Christ and who has now themselves become a presenter, a teacher, and an admonisher. Uh, 40 years ago, 40 years ago, I went to a retreat. 40 years ago. Man, right? 1983. Is that 40 years ago? Yes, Mona? 
39. <laughs> of course, I know it's 39. 40 sounds better. 40 years ago, I went to a retreat, and uh, the pastor, the speaker was an expert in discipleship. And uh, his last message, he did a really like powerful message all throughout, but his last message always remained with me, right? He, he, he challenged us to be disciples, of course. No-brainer. And he, but he says, the last message was about being a disciple maker. And he says, um, you know, we're not only supposed to just become great Christians on our own, but we're supposed to help others become great Christians. Disciple maker. And this was his closing line. It will cost you to be a disciple of Christ. It will cost you to be a disciple of Christ. And then it will cost you more to be a disciple maker for Christ. It will cost you more to be a disciple maker for Christ. Okay. Not <laughs> very encouraging and exciting, right? That it will be burdensome, yeah? But I'm, I'm talking about the keys, right? I'm talking about the keys to help unreveal, help reveal this mystery, this, this key verse. I don't know if it will become a personal key verse for you. But I pray that uh, we understand its profundity and power as our church key verse for this year. Let's pray. Lord, in these uh, simple statements, we find um, some very large pools of, of uh, uh, concepts and wisdom and power and, and even joy. Thank you for having men and women proclaim Jesus Christ someone like Apostle Paul, someone like those who have spoken into our lives, those who shared the gospel with us, our parents, our friends, our pastors, um, uh, people in society, that they did not remain silent, but they spoke. Dr. Martin Luther King, those words ring true, Lord, and they uh, are not without effect because we have now become learners. We've become those desiring believe it or not, to be corrected. Lord, and, and now we've been, as we are presented, we want to share in that call to be present at the PTA, uh, to proclaim, help us to really be intentional, to be really be uh, uh, diligent about proclaiming Jesus our Lord, and then help us to both engage and then um, engage in personally, directly, and then to pass it on to others, this teaching slash admonishing as we move to maturity, as our church uh, so needs to move to maturity. We thank you for um, our time together in our worship service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.